Welcome back, everybody, to yet another episode of Going for Two, the official podcast of the Extra Points newsletter. I am the publisher of that newsletter and the host of this podcast, Matt Brown. I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, my co-host, my, my friend here, Brian Fisher. And Brian, we're, we're recording here on a, on a Tuesday afternoon. I, I got to admit, I am a, I'm still a little bit mad about a press conference that I just sat through. I have been hearing nothing for this last week about alliances and complicated statecraft and very Michigan man war dad kind of stuff. And I, I must admit, I'm feeling pretty underwhelmed right now. Well, at least it's game week, right? You know, I mean, if anything else, <laughs> it is game week. So we have that to fall back on. But, but you, know, you know, you're right. Uh, I think it was it was an interesting press conference uh, between the ACC and Big Ten and, and Pac-12 announcing this alliance that we've heard so much about. And quite a letdown. I think just a, a letdown in terms of actual concrete, hard written in, you know, hard written rules or contracts. We, we didn't get any of that. And I think that kind of is fueling the the uh, disappointment in terms of this announcement. There, There's really just kind of a handshake agreement. And, and that's it amongst these three conferences. I, I'll, I'll be honest here. I think that simply sending the press release would have been sufficient. And by building this up as some kind of historic announcement and then not really being willing to go into specifics about anything is, fr- is frustrating. You're right. It, we do, there, there are football games happening in a few days. There's college soccer games and other uh, Olympic sports events happening right now, uh, which and, and as best as we can tell, everyone's healthy while they're doing it, which, which is wonderful. But I know let's, – let's, let's rewind here a little bit, right? I know that the the popular imagination about this this configuration of the Pac-12 and the ACC and the Big Ten, the thing that people not in this industry, I think, were most excited about is this idea of a scheduling agreement. It's fun to see helmet games, to see big brand schools play games against other big brand schools. And in college football, really up until the early 90s, this is how it usually went. You usually played against other major conference schools uh, at least half of your out-of-conference games. Sometimes you did that for, for all of them. Um, and now you see that a little bit less often. And this idea of, okay, maybe we're going to see more of these games in football and basketball, women's basketball, other sports. But if you're – I mean, I, I heard Kevin Warren say, like, we're not trying to change any existing contracts. And I was playing around with it you got to go until like the 2030s really before the majority of these schools have lots of open inventory, man. I've been through this song and dance before with the big 10. I don't know about you. I've sat through multiple press conferences talking about scheduling arrangements that then run headlong into legal realities of existing games. And they end up meaning nothing. Is there any reason to feel optimistic that this becomes anything more than a women's basketball ACC Pac-12 challenge? Maybe. I, I think at the end of the day, you know, it is, you mentioned kind of going back a, a ways is, yeah, we, we've kind of had the first iteration of this when the Pac-12 and, and Big Ten announced it with Jim Delaney and, and Larry Scott. And that lasted all of seven months, you know, that even less than, than seven months, to be honest. And a lot of that came down to really just being inflexible with their schedules. You know, it was too difficult for the Pac-12 with their nine conference games to slot in all of these big 10 teams. And that led it to falling apart. And while they are less insistent on it being requirements and, and adding all of that in as part of this new alliance, in, inevitably there's, there's going to be scheduling difficulties because let's face it, not only do the local rivals like Clemson and South Carolina want to keep playing each other, you know, they, 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 a lot of these schools want to go into sec territory. They want to go into play big 12 teams, you know, that they, they want to have those teams come to their stadiums. And so I, I don't think it really changes a whole lot 
on the scheduling front, other than the fact that maybe when you're an athletic director or you're you know in charge of the assistant athletic director in charge of football scheduling and you sit down with your head coach and you kind of look at a list of the openings that are kind of out there for your schedule, your first call is probably going to be to one of these other leagues. That, that's kind of ultimately what I think is, is going to come out of this. And whether that's ultimately good for the sport or whether it brings some sort of huge uh, changes, I, I don't know. But I think more the bigger component to this, I think, is definitely alignment in terms of college football playoff expansion, what they want out of that, and, and certainly the NCAA governance uh, f- kind of forming that voting block in terms of what they want, whether it's scholarship changes, whether it's you know kind of breaking away the, the structure of the NCAA as part of this constitutional convention. I, I think more than anything, that is ultimately going to be the kind of the lasting legacy that we're going to see in the short term. And then long term, we might get into some of those helmet games, as you termed them. Yeah, I, I mean, the the going the idea here of this being a voting block for NCAA governance changes is the most interesting thing about any of of, of this configuration. You know, there, there, there's that, and I I want to get to that here in a second. The other relating to the college football playoff, as I understand it, is really less about whether it goes to eight teams or 10 teams or 12 teams, there's, there's pretty broad agreement. I think even among a lot of stakeholders that you want to expand the playoff, multiple commissioners said so during this thing, but you want to do it on a certain timetable. Ideally, if you do it a little bit later, you can take the whole playoff to market. And the, what I've been hearing about this is it's not just about maximizing the amount of money you could potentially get. Um, There is a school of thought among some, um, uh, folks who work in, in advertising and, and broadcasting that while live sports is still the most important entity that you can have as a broadcast network, um, digital ad spending on YouTube and other places is accelerating so much that maybe that advantage is not quite as pronounced in 2028 as it is in 2021. So there's some risk financially in taking this to market. But as I understand it, it's less about trying to grab as many, the most amount of money you possibly can as it is if we take this to market and we get Fox to bid on it or we get CBS to bid on it, who I understand is not out of the college football game, even though the SEC is leaving, or NBC to bid on it, you are breaking up the monopoly that or the power, the stranglehold that ESPN has on college football, where they, I think it's pretty inarguable at this point. That's the entity that has the most influence over college football at the FBS level as a whole, more so than any single conference or maybe even the NCAA as a unit. Does that jive with what you've been hearing? This, this is this is a, a power block to try to break this up so you don't just have one team, one, one network broadcasting everything, and then you got to listen to the SEC network people uh, trashing the Big Ten and the Pac-12 right before the broadcast? Yeah, I think that is is a huge role in this, and and just kind of breaking up the hegemony that that ESPN has over over the sport, and they've had it for a long time. Let's face it, they've you know when you go back to the, the first kind of big realignment wave uh, back in the early 2010s, you know ESPN played played a big part, and I think there's really an insistence and, and by the leaders at these these universities and, and these commissioners that they don't want that happening again. And, uh, this is part of the way to kind of counteract that. And and let's face it, you know, you, you mentioned going to market there. You know, I, I think they, they do understand that it, it's going to be better for the sport overall if there's not just one show on every Tuesday talking about the college football playoff. You know, it, it, it's going to be better not only to involve more conferences, more teams uh, that we're going to get out of this, this expanded playoff, but just have more partners involved in this, much like the NFL has done uh, with, with their new agreements. I think that is uh, very much a model for what the Big Ten and Pac-12, especially as they go to market in these next couple of years, are going to look towards. 
And so I think there's as much as these these conferences like and, and enjoy their relationships with ESPN currently. I mean, we, we all know the ACC, while they've had the difficulties in terms of the, the financials with their ESPN deal, they understand the, the safety that it gives them. And, and I think for the Big Ten and the Pac-12, they enjoy the exposure that, that ESPN and that relationship has given them. But they also want to understand that uh, we, we, they cannot just have one single partner out there controlling the fates of not only these, these 41 plus schools, but uh, really the, the sport at large. And, and to kind of break that up a little bit, bring some new players in there in the space and, and hopefully grow the overall pie for a lot of their members and, and the sport itself. I realize that they can't just explicitly say that. I, I wish they would. I, the, the thing that, that I think bothered me intellectually, and, and I tweeted this and this, is, this was some of this is in is in Tuesday's extra points. But you look at this press release. Half of it is talking about we want the, the college athletics is changing very much. We are similar uh, institutions. We want to work together to promote academics and student a, student athletes, health outcomes and social justice and all of these things. And on it, like, I believe Kevin Warren cares about that deeply. I believe many of these administrators, member schools care about that deeply. And we didn't hear a single word about that um, in the press conference. We didn't hear any kind of specifics. So what I'm dying to hear is if you're creating this block to advocate for a particular vision for college athletics, particular values, lay them out and, 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 and explicitly tell people we stand for this. Not everybody in college sports does. That's why we think it's important. And, and, and if it's just about, we, we think it's important for athletes to, to not be professionalized and to get, and to get a college education. Well, like no shit. Like every college administrator thinks that you don't have to have a special alliance of AAU schools. You could get every single school in the NCAA to, to, to sign on to those principles. That's been a guiding principle for everything. If you mean that to mean and that that we believe that that athletes deserve a certain kind of education and that means that that athletic departments should sponsor a certain number of sports and adhere to certain kinds of social justice programming and have these diversity initiatives, then just say that and and, and say that specifically. I don't think we could talk about this as a voting block if we don't even have any idea what they want to vote for. Right. Yeah, I mean, maybe we'll get there to where there are some more specifics as you get athletic directors who are, who are much more in the weeds with with some of these issues that uh, are, are discussing them, you know, more one to one with smaller groups. And, and maybe there are some proposals that kind of come out of things. And I, I think it's just it's just an interesting time, you know, in terms of governance amongst college athletics. Uh, to see things like this happening, that you had the NCAA convention kind of going on in, in the background and, and all the work that's going to happen really over the next kind of two months uh, pr- proceeding to that and in the November um, convention or whatever they, they're going to term it. It, yeah. it just the kind of a fast in that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of a, a fascinating kind of uh, time. And, and you you just you, like you're saying, you want more specifics. And I, I do believe, like like you're saying, that a lot of these schools share a lot of common values. You know, I think you're, you're seeing uh, a lot of you know very broad based athletic departments that, that do want to have uh, pump resources into things like field hockey and lacrosse. And, and, and that is important to them. At the same time, there's also some diversity within their ranks. There's, you know, Clemson out there that obviously is sponsors a fewer number of sports than uh, a school like Stanford or Ohio. Ohio State and, and makes football a little bit more of a priority. But at the same time, you know what? They, they share some some commonalities with their peers. They share some commonalities with some of their peers uh, in the Big Ten and the Pac-12. And I, I think that that's ultimately good to kind of come to the table, see what you, you, you like to do together. Um, but we are, like you're saying, so short on specifics. Maybe that will come. I, I'm not anticipating anything happening in the next month or two. I think this is really just kind of a more than anything, a, a reason to, number one, kind of 
kind of exclude the Big 12 formally and, and, and stabilize the landscape and say that, you know, we're not going to poach from each other if there's going to be any conference realignment. And, and number two, just kind of say we're, we're doing something to kind of counteract not only ESPN, but especially the SEC's influence in the, in the sport. I think those two kind of big bullet points are, are really kind of the overriding conversation that, that I'm getting uh, from that, that press conference and from this announcement. You, you touched on something else I've been thinking a lot about with this, with, with the, talking about the diversity of schools here, the, the big 10 and the PAC 12 have marched administratively in lockstep almost as long as those two and the leagues have existed. And obviously the Rose bowl is a big part of that, but you're right. By and large, they're very similar institutions that have shared, I think similar attitudes about not just how many sports you should sponsor, but about how amateurism should be defined what your value should be as an athletic department. Um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not an accident that Ohio state and Stanford are like the, the two largest broad based athletic departments. And those are, and they're all research universities. They're all secular universities. They're mostly public schools. They're mostly pretty selective public schools. There, there, there's, there's a, a lot of institutional fit. I talk about this all the time on extra points. That's not really true with the ACC, which makes me wonder a little bit about what this, uh, how this alliance holds up once the rubber starts to hit the road about some specifics. Clemson is a great example. I say this not, to, not, not with a pejorative connotation. Clemson has an SEC mindset for their athletic department. They sponsor the fewest number of sports you are, can, can get away with. And in fact, they try to go below that and they got sued when they tried to drop men's track and they had to add some more women's uh, women's sports to, to bring them into Title IX compliance. Like, and talking to their athletic department, like they've been explicit about this. Like our community wants us to spend this money and these resources in building the best football team possible. It's not just them. Miami does not have a broad-based athletic department. Um, I, they've, they've, you know, they've only got like seven sports within the ACC and other schools have 13. Um, Syracuse does not have that broad level of, of, a, of an athletic department. Um, you know, North Carolina does, Virginia does, Notre Dame does, but those aren't necessarily the standard. And within this, even within this group, right? Like you remember, remember who the only school was to vote against cost of attendance when, when, when that, when that came out, do you remember? Uh, Boston college, I believe it was, it was Boston college. Like on some levels, Boston college is more big 10 than the big 10 schools. Uh, about 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 amateurism you have jesuit institutions you have louisville which sure as hell isn't anything that's that that, that's in the big 10 and and you also now have a league that is completely tied commercially to espn when one of the foundational principles of this alliance is we want to limit the influence of espn which makes me all kind of think that look these are three conference commissioners that are pretty new you've got a lot of uncertainty and a general distrust of the SEC. You want to create an opposition party in college sports. That's cool. I don't really know what that means yet, but but fine. But when these go beyond just platitudes, and, and we start talking about concrete proposals about NCAA governance, about what we're going to do with broadcast partners, what we're going to do beyond our women's basketball schedule, can you keep all 41 of these schools together and, and marching in lockstep on those issues? I'm skeptical. We couldn't get those. We couldn't get those schools together on whether we should even be playing football, let alone about any of these other more existential questions. Well, I think the ACC's inclusion in in this axis of of alliance or whatever you want to kind now of term we, it. We, we got to get a better. We got to get a better name. Yeah. So I, I think the ACC's inclusion is, is interesting in in two fronts. Obviously, Jim Phillips 
from the Big Ten country, Northwestern AD, uh, really one of the, the true power brokers in the NCA who has uh, been invested and in, in, in had a, put a lot of work into not only NCA governance issues, but been on the men's basketball committee, you know, I mean, and, and, and really plugged in with a lot of those Big Ten athletic directors and presidents. He, he's been in the league forever. He's done a lot of good work. Uh, I mean, there was a reason why he was mentioned quite quite a while for quite a while that uh, he would be the replacement for Jim Delaney, not not Kevin Warren. So, uh, you know, I think I that, that is had that pre-written. Yeah, I think that was part. I mean, going back to I think it was the Chicago, Chicago Tribune report, you know, the, the, the day before it was it was going to be you know, Jim Phillips and, and it ended up being Kevin Warren. But I, I think, you know, that is a, a factor in this with, without a doubt. In, in my mind, it's just Jim Phillips relationships that he knows in the Big Ten and, and vice versa. And so I think there is a level of comfort. And then I think the other factor in, in my mind, too, is uh, kind of a they, they mentioned it at the press conference quite a bit in terms of the, the like mindedness of, amongst these universities. I think to a lot of the presidents that are kind of tangentially involved in, in this these discussions, I think that does mean something. I think it, you know, we, we mentioned the, the Clemson example. They've done a great job of using football as that, that French porch to the university, and, and they've grown their profile uh, tremendously over the last couple of years. If, if you're the Clemson president, and you can add, maybe there's an academic component to this, to where you're doing research with Big Ten universities and, and Pac-12 universities, I think that, that means a lot to Clemson continuing to take that next step growing as a university. Um, you know, you mentioned North Carolina and Duke. You know, those, those programs, if they get you know, to do more research with Stanford's and 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 the Northwesterns of the world, I, I think that that's something that appeals to those college presidents as well. And so I think that that factor can cannot be overlooked. I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't be surprised if the ultimate lasting legacy of this this alliance is not really football games. It's not even really the, the governance structure because I, I I do think they're all in alignment that they want a, a twelve team playoff. They they do want certain changes with the NCAA. Uh, the ultimate. Thing out of the, that we might be seeing come out of this alliance, if you will, is some sort of research, you know, pan country, you know, resource platform or something like that. You know, and in the Big Ten, something has something similar already within just that conference. Maybe that's just kind of an expansion of that uh, with involving some of these Pac-12 schools on various different topics out there. And, and that means a lot to these college presidents. It means a lot to the deans that are going out and asking for grants. I think that that might be a component that we're, we're overlooking a little bit uh, as, as we get Get caught up so much into this ESPN war, the, this SEC uh, faction versus the, the Big Ten, the ACC, and the, the, the Pac-12. Uh, I do think that that is kind of getting overlooked a little bit. Is there is it might be an academic component that I think ultimately will be the lasting legacy uh, from this alliance. If that ends up happening, that's a great net positive for everybody. I have been a big beneficiary of the committee of institutional of the the CIC, right? That's for the the, the Big Ten. I wrote my book. What if a closer look of college football's great questions, which talks about lots of historical conference realignment stuff. But I wrote that because I was living in College Park and I was able to pay like 40 bucks to get a community membership card at the University of Maryland's library. And because of that, 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 that um, confederation, I could get any university book from any Big Ten university, which basically means you can get any book. Um, period, <laughs> which, which, I mean, you, you can't really do that even with, with a, with a major, uh, metropolitan university system. Um, that all, I mean, that's possible. It feels a little aspirational. If that's something that, that was on the table, you know, when that happens, send me the press release. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk to your, I'll talk to your presidents about it. I, I will be interested in it. If you're going to come and sell me school, come to me and be ready to talk about school. If you don't want to talk about school, and you want to use tool school as like a shield 
to talk about to to give you some air of legitimacy when you really want to be talking about broadcast rights. Um, just talk to me about broadcast rights. Don't let, let let's let's not play the shell game. Well, I, I mentioned this on on Monday night. You know, when we kind of got confirmed that there would be an announcement on, on Tuesday, is is the fact that. If, if we do want to talk about scheduling and we do want to talk about media rights, ultimately what this alliance should end up being is something like what the Big Ten suggested last year uh, because of COVID, you know, frankly, was that Champions Week. That that would actually bring some value. If you're having the number three ACC Atlantic team playing the number three ACC, you know, Big Ten East team, th- that could bring some value in terms of, yeah, it's an, an intriguing game. You know, you're you're crossing over in terms of different fan bases. Maybe it's at the end of the year, so you get an extra data point in terms of the college football season before the, the bowl selections happen, before the college football playoff discusses things. Uh, you know, maybe maybe that is a unique component that, that comes out of this. And, and I think that would be a, a huge value add, especially for the Big Ten and the Pac-12 as they go to the media rights table and they say, look, we're, we're going to have six or 12 of these games every year where we know we're going to have a, a great Power 5 matchup at the end of the year. It, it's great inventory for the TV partners, and that would probably be enough for the ACC to go to ESPN and ask for a little bit more money because you're playing another big time game. It, it's it's one thing to kind of sort of guarantee a nice non-conference game at the beginning of the year, but if you're talking about going into December with a huge matchup that you can now sell to your TV partners, that would actually move the needle, I think, a, a little bit more. I don't know if that's ultimately going to happen. I haven't heard anything that uh, the that's been discussed or anything like that. I'm just kind of throwing it out there, but I think that would ultimately, from a scheduling standpoint, Standpoint, bring a whole lot of value to this alliance versus a, just sign a non-conference game. Uh, it's some somewhere in the 2030s uh, between uh, some of these conferences. Yeah, we, we, you and I we've talked about this a lot, and this is not a novel or new point within the college athletics, you know, blogosphere. But last year should have shown that you don't need to schedule a game 40 years in advance for it to be compelling or interesting. And we do this for literally every other sport where we, we schedule it a year out. So we get that general idea of who's going to be good or not. And for some sports, you add them in the middle of the dang season. So sure, if you had a championship, Champions Week where you match the number three team in the Big Ten with the number three team in the ACC or potentially the Pac-12, especially in regions where it's a little bit harder to schedule out West, sounds awesome. I honestly like the, cha- the Champions Week idea anyway for the Big Ten. I know we missed out on a couple of those games from COVID, but – you know, I'm enough of a sicko that I'm going to watch a Rutgers Illinois game if that's the 13 14 game at the end of the season. If you you kind of, you kind of play that up a little bit, that's the ACC basketball tournament kind of did something like that. There's a couple of uh, I think of fun things you could do with Olympic sports. A Big Ten ACC lacrosse challenge would be a big deal within that sports community. Getting Arizona State more involved in Big Ten hockey while we wait for that sport to continue to grow, or for that matter, Utah more involved in Big Ten lacrosse or ACC lacrosse. They're I want to say they're in the A-Sun now because what is anything anymore? Those are things that, that would have tangible benefits. There's ways to, to, to elevate ACC wrestling. The Pac-12 is trying to grow wrestling. The Big Ten is the epicenter of that. There's, there's things you can do that are, are not going to, you know, ESPN's not going to give you $40 million for doing it, but, but you can do it relatively quickly. But those are also not the kind of things that you call gigantic press conference for. You know, no disrespect to the wrestling community. That's not generally A-1 news. 
and, and they didn't really mention it at the press conference, but, you know, greater alignment in terms of bowl games, I, I think, is probably going to be on the table amongst these. Yes, there's there's obviously the, the Rosewell agreement between the Big Ten and, and the Pac-12 already. But if you throw the ACC in there in the mix, you know, maybe you're talking about uh, certainly even some of those neutral non-conference games at the beginning of the season where you guarantee an ACC team going to Las Vegas, going to L.A. and playing some Pac-12 throwing the same going to Indianapolis or or Chicago or something like that. I, I think that would is probably what they kind of had in mind when they, they were kind of talking about the, the fringe uh, announcement of, of, the, of the scheduling component. But I, I think ultimately you see it kind of falling over to where it, it has a greater impact, uh, certainly on the football field. Uh, we, we already talking about men's basketball. Well, a lot of those challenges are, are kind of going away, especially with the changing membership in the Big 12. And so I think that is, is another way, you know, really we, we could see a sort of a, a bracket busters uh, combination of, of these three leagues. That would be a great opportunity in men's basketball to get those marquee wins that uh, a lot of these programs are going to need, uh, especially, you know, kind of later in the in the spring to where, you know, the TV in, inventory would love some high profile matchups that are out of conference. So, um, you know, you, you can sort of play around with a lot of things and, and see maybe it's going to come out. But uh, I think the ultimate takeaway to me, I guess, just on uh, watching that press conference on, on Tuesday, you hit, you hit the nail on the head. They were, they were just a little light on the details. You are you are more diplomatic about this than, than I am. I came in there with my expectations low and they were not met. Um, so, hey, if you want you want, you want to surprise me in two years because you, you came up with something creative that that's wonderful. But uh, I'm, I'm not going to be expecting it. Conspicuous in their absence, though, in this particular anti-SEC, anti-ESPN consortium is the Big 12. Big 12 has research universities. Big 12 has some schools that care about broad-based athletic department participation. They care about kids in the weight room and in the community. They, they share many of these same values. They weren't invited. Uh, and I think you and I both know why they weren't invited. We don't know if they're going to be a thing anymore after that. Which and, it would, and that's kind of the big cloud that it's impossible to even think about the Big 12 this season um, in, any, in any light other than the existential crisis behind this entire league. Like there's, you know, this is a team league that's got two, maybe two and a half potential playoff contenders. And it has a couple of interesting stories in the middle, but it's, it's kind of feels, it kind of feels hard to talk up Texas football this year. And the big question is like, what the hell do these, these teams do in three years when, when the big teams leave? Yeah. I think the uncertainty around the big 12, you know, played a huge factor in them just not being a part of this alliance. And I think that, I mean, Jim Phillips kind of directly said that, you know, and uh, after his press conference as well. So, um, yeah, maybe the Big 12 kind of eventually gets in, involved in, in this alliance as uh, they continue to counteract. Certainly, they, they're not happy with the SEC uh, based on, on what they've done the last six months or so. So uh, maybe maybe the Big 12 ultimately becomes a part of this. But I, I think more than anything, this is this alliance is, is also designed to, uh, frankly, when it comes to things about like college football playoff revenue distribution, make sure that the Big 12 is not included uh, with one of those big seats at the table, that, that it's just the power for. And, and more of a consolidating of power, uh, certainly away from the Big 12. And really, I mean, we're already seeing, you know, talk of uh, realignment and, and expansion. I think the Pac-12, that, that's the biggest domino kind of left because I don't think there's anybody out there that really moves the needle in terms of the Big 10. So it, it is all down to whether the Pac-12 wants to take any of these leftovers. George Klyovkov said, we'll have a decision on realignment at the end of the week. I think it's, it's pretty easy to read between the lines of this announcement. Uh, for not only the alliance, but uh, what he said at the press conference on Tuesday, that uh, there, there will be no more Pac-12 expansion. And so it, it does seem like the college football landscape, if there's any uncertainty or an unease, it's centered on Big 12 country. 
Yeah, I, I, I realize this is going to freezing cold takes me, but I've asked around and I would be very surprised if the Pac-12 takes any of these institutions. Um, weirdly, the only one that I heard any remote kind of buzz about was is one that, that surprised me a little bit. Now it's TCU um, in that the institutional identity has, has really kind of changed itself here. And it's a religious institution, um, not anywhere close to the way that, say, BYU or Boston College or Liberty or most other schools are, are religious institutions. And it's urban and it has a, some graduate programs. But even then, it was like, yeah, well, we might take TCU if we take two or three other teams, not we just have to get TCU. I would expect... Um, I would expect this year that there's not any other realignment within the, the other three power leagues. I, I, the, the big realignment question for me it, beyond the FCS where I'm a, I, I've been digging into this a lot. It's is the big 12 going to add teams from the American is the American going to add teams from the big 12 or is a new league going to be created with some conjunction of those with new branding and new everything. Absolutely. I think that is that is the key question, you know, not only in terms of where those remaining eight schools go, but I, I think the the filter down effects, you know, and, and, and where the FCS ranks go. I think that if, if there's any conference realignment, it's, it's going to be at those levels. And, uh, you know, let's face it, a lot of the say in terms of which schools are, are going to be going anywhere is going to come down to the TV dollars and whether it makes any sense. And so that to me is, is a question less for the presidents necessarily, but more for the presidents of Fox and ESPN. And I don't think any of them want uh, any more further conference realignment. You know, maybe at the, at the margin, sure. But uh, at the end of the day, they want to end up paying less rights for leagues like the Big 12. And I think that's ultimately what's going to end up happening as things kind of shake out. They're going to, I mean, even if they expand, whatever configuration of the Big 12 plus four ACT, American teams or Big 12 and BYU and Boise or whatever, um, the rights for that product are not going to be anywhere close to the rights that they earned with Texas and Oklahoma, whether that's a 12, a 14 or a 16 team league, whatever, whenever the dust settles, we're looking at a gentrified American athletic conference in terms of like revenue and, and what that looks like. And now that might be a very good college basketball league. That might be a very good league in a several other sports. It might be a league that produces multiple top 25 football teams. It's probably not going to be a league that competes for top four seeds in the college football playoff on a regular basis. It's not going to be a league that brings in $30 million a year. Um, but the Big 12, despite all the dirt we just shoveled on it, and despite the kind of bless your hearts of the other conference commissioners, you know, like, you know, good luck out there. You know, we, we, just, we just watched. The league is actually going to function this year. They are allegedly going to play Big 12 football games. They're going to crown a Big 12 champion, which I think will be hilarious, especially if it's Oklahoma or Texas teams that I expect to get flagged for holding 16 times a game over this season. And I, I understand that you chatted with somebody who uh, has covered that league for a long time and knows that footprint and is much more of an expert on those institutions than I am. Yeah, I was excited to uh, chat with uh, my old buddy, Dennis Dodd, who uh, has been covering uh, college football nationally. I mean, since uh, the big eight days, as, as we kind of get into our, our conversation. Yeah, let's go. Let's bring him on. All right. Pleased to be joined by a good friend and a former colleague over at CBS Sports, Dennis Dodd. And uh, Dennis, I got to ask about the Big 12. That's where I think all of the drama nowadays in college football seems to start out with. What What is the mood that you're getting around the league and, and, and what are these schools kind of exploring in terms of their options? Well, Brian, thanks for having me. But uh, I think right now it's just one of desperation. Uh, they're kind of preaching staying together for four years. So this media rights contract runs out, but everybody's looking 
for any sort of life raft and any sort of way out where they can take care of themselves. And you, you can't blame them. I mean, they they were cut off at the knees by by Texas and OU. And, you know, they're, these schools' uh, future is in the balance as, as autonomous schools. I mean, the budgets, I don't see any way how those eight, I guess, uh, cutting to the chase, how those eight state power five in any way, shape or form. And so that's just going to do tremendous damage to those budgets, their ability to lure and pay coaches. I think it even affect enrollment. You know, we don't have that shingle hung outside your school that you're big time. So uh, yeah, some desperate times in the big 12 right now. You've, you've been on the national beat quite, quite a while. I'm curious, do you think that that Southwest conference breakup, because the, we are involving the Baylors, we are involving the TCUs of the world. Do you think the, the fact that we are, we're not that far removed from the Southwest conference breaking up, do you think that's kind of informing a lot of these eight schools and, and how nervous they are about the future? Yeah, uh, that occurred because, you know, at the time the Southwest conference had, become such a cesspool for cheating that it had, uh, I think either all or pretty much all the schools are on some sort of probation and it was just affecting them to the point where uh, they weren't recruiting very well. They weren't very good on the field. So they were looking for a life raft and it was, and it was, it was at that time where the money was shifting and it was really getting big. And even with those schools, um, they weren't going to get that big a payday. The Big Eight had Oklahoma, uh, the Southwest Conference had Texas, and somebody somewhere saw, well, I know exactly who saw it, um, saw the, the possibilities with that. It was the lost odds at, at Texas and Donnie Duncan at Oklahoma. They flew together to New York and met, went, met with a bunch of advertisers. Tizers literally went door to door, Chevy, Ford, whoever, and told them, uh, with this lineup, these 12 schools, we can you can sell a lot of pickups uh, down the middle of the country with 16% of the population, and, and they went for it. That's basically why the Big 12 was formed. But, yeah, that, and that, so we've seen that in reverse. You take away Texas and Oklahoma, and you, you don't have very much. You've talked with a lot of folks around the Big 12. How has the betrayal of, of Greg Sankey with Bob Bowlesby kind of kind of played? And, and how, how bad do you think Bob has, has been feeling these last couple of weeks, knowing that uh, somebody he's, he's worked very closely with, not just the past year on, on things like COVID and, and the college football playoff expansion, but somebody who he has grown close with over the last uh, since he's taken over that job really stabbed him in the in the back? Yeah, he's pissed. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't mind saying it either. He you, you just articulated all the issues. Not only was he working with Greg Sankey for two years on the playoff expansion, but by all reports, no, well, in fact, the last six months, he had been working across a desk with him while trying to lure Texas and Oklahoma from his conference. And I asked um, Greg Sankey that. I said, you know, if not in fact conflict of interest, can you see why it would be perceived as a conflict of interest? And he said, no. There are checks and balances. And being the good reporter I am, I didn't follow up and ask him what checks and balances there were. So that's on me. But he does, Greg Sankey does not feel like that was, at the very least, I think, a conflict of interest and an ethical breach. 
And you've known Joe, Josie and, and, and you mentioned Delos Dodds, but uh, Chris Del Conte, his, his successor at Texas, they had really sterling reputations, you know, around college athletics. But I think this has kind of marked a, a bit of a shift in terms of their overall perception, just what, what's gone on these last couple of really since the, the spring. Um, do you kind of get the sense that there has been a bit of a shift on, on some of these major power players at both Texas and Oklahoma and not only inside the Big 12, but but nationally? Yeah, I mean, you expect you expect this sort of thing from Texas. It's just kind of the way they operate, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, what, you mentioned it. What you don't expect from this is Joe C. at Oklahoma. Um, his former president, David Boren, was a bit of a, you know, he was out there, you know, with this. Uh, what was it? Four years ago or five years ago, the orchestrated by him this eventually fruitless look at expansion, which made, in retrospect, no sense. But Joe is always the good soldier. I never thought he'd be involved in something like this. Having said that, when Texas calls the SEC and mentions that they want to come, if you're Oklahoma, you got to go. Uh, it's again with just Oklahoma in that league, it's severely damaged financially. Still, even with Oklahoma there, so they had to go with them. I think maybe the unwritten story about this is is that in many ways, Oklahoma is Texas' little brother, even now, even with Oklahoma dominating them on the field, their, their brand recognition is is second to none in the country. So when that happened, I don't think they had a choice to go. But yeah, um, that's what bothers Bob Bowlesby, is he thought he had a great um, relationship with uh, Crystal Conte and Joe Castiglione, and then to have that happen uh, – you know, is is really, I don't know what the word is. I, he feels betrayed. I'll put it at that. And I think the multi-million dollar question that, that really is hanging over everything that's been going on is is when Texas and Oklahoma will actually leave the league. I don't think anybody out there expects them to actually wait out until 2025. What, what's your best guess in terms of after talking with folks and, and what the kind of the mood is within the conference of when they actually will depart for the SEC? Well, I think we'll know better when the expanded playoff is announced, when that's going to start. Uh, that's when you can start the clock running. Okay, is it 2023? Are they going to wait all five years left on the deal? Uh, ESPN is desperate for the content to come as soon as possible, the matchups they can make with with Texas and Oklahoma. There's something else at play here that, I don't know, may speed up the process. I think it's going to be very uncomfortable for Texas and Oklahoma uh to play one year in this league. Uh, you can ask anybody at A&M or Nebraska when they left. Uh, that was, there was a lot of animosity in the Big 12 on the field and in the boardroom when they left. And being who they are, two lightning rod, big-time rich programs, um, I'm, I've got it on my calendar, October 2nd, Oklahoma-Kansas State, first road game in the Big 12 since the announcement. So uh, that, that in itself – may speed up where Oklahoma and Texas just call the big 12 and say, what, you know, what, let's talk, you know, what's the, what's the number uh, that you need for us to leave? Because it's, it's written, none of us want to be here. You guys don't want us here by now. Um, and it's going to cost until June 30th, 2023, it's going to cost $80 million each. And that's without getting into the grant of rights, which the big 12 would still uh, control at that point for the next four years. So, who knows? Who knows what kind of number they could come up with? Something I suspect that Texas and Oklahoma could afford, no matter what. 
Dennis, I, I know you've been to, to Irving and, and you know that the Big 12 headquarters r- literally right across the highway from the, the AAC's new office. If you're one of those AAC schools, w- what, what are you thinking in terms of not only this new landscape uh, with the Big 12, but kind of nationally, especially in, in, in context of that playoff picture? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't doubt for a second everything that Bob Bowlesby said on that day that ESPN orchestrated it. Uh, the the uh, AAC was definitely trying to raid what was left of the Big 12. Why wouldn't you? Um, you've got the leverage at that point. Things have cleared up to the point now where I think the Big 12 schools have a little leverage, so it could go in reverse that I think the AAC has to be as nervous as the the Big 12, where based on what kind of um, estimate they get on how much they could earn, those eight schools could stay together and pick off the four best from the American, uh, UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, what have you, uh, you know, the schools like that and try to get a better payday than they would alone. But I, I know for a fact that schools in the big 12 have, you know, called other conferences. We already saw the report about the PAC 12. Um, I've been told there's no value there for the PAC 12 for, uh, for the big, for the big 12 schools, but you never know what I've learned in this, Brian, is there are no absolutes in this whole discussion. You can say, you know, but you don't really know. You never know until they kick the ball off. Right. That's, that's the, the ultimate uh, question there. But uh, you know, I, I, you mentioned um, possibly the big 12 moving out of that, that autonomy status and, and just what their kind of future holds within the governance structure of the NCA. We're seeing this constitutional convention coming up. They, they just had their first meeting. Uh, you there's already been confirmations that the PAC 12, the big 10 and the ACC have been talking that that's really frozen out the big 12. How is that being taken inside uh, amongst the leaders at Baylor and Texas and Kansas state and, and how they kind of view this, this new era of them sitting on the outside looking in. Yeah, they're bitter. Um, I mean, yeah, you can see it coming. If, if, if in fact there is an alliance, now the report of a, of talks of an alliance were true, it's a long way from there to actually do it with the ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12. But if that happens, that effectively ends conference realignment at the top level. It'll just be Texas and Oklahoma moving to the SEC. Now below that, it'll be all kinds of, you know, uh, running around. Uh, what does that look like? And I think the next touch point on this is when those commissioners get in the room, they decide when the expanded playoffs going to be, they price it and they get in that room and start deciding on shares, what it's going to be worth. That will, that will be a very painful day for the Big 12, not, not the American because they're going to get paid more than they're getting now. But the Big 12 budgets have already been, with the loss of Texas and Oklahoma, they've lost half their value of that league. So and up to 75%. So you're going from 37 million a year right now to like eight or 10, if it happened today. Now they, they've got a contract where it runs four more years. But I think that's the next touch point. It will be if, in fact, there is an alliance and the deciding factor on, on, on whether the, who is an autonomous conference will come from those commissioners who get in that room and start divvying up the, the uh, CFP money. Right now it's 66 million each year for the Power Five just to be in it, they get six million for a semifinalist. Nothing, by the way, for a championship, and uh, four million for a New Year's Six bowl. Um, the the group of five right now, those five conferences split ninety million. So you can see how far down, how far down, um, that that rung in revenue would be. Now, as as much as everybody's curious about where these tectonic plates are ultimately going to end up. 
There is a season that's literally right around the corner from from when we're talking now. Uh, Oklahoma, obviously, in in the top five of all the polls. You have Iowa State in the top ten as well. Widely viewed, both teams as as uh, CFP contenders. What are the biggest kind of storylines around the Big Twelve aside from this whole Texas and Oklahoma mess? You know, I think Spencer Spencer Rattler is the Heisman favorite. Um, you know, Oklahoma going after a seventh. Uh, I think unprecedented seventh straight conference title. They may have had seven in a row in the fifties when they had that run. Um, you know, Texas has spent five of the last 10 years unranked in the final poll. So I think one little sidelight to this is if Oklahoma and Texas think they're going to get better at football in the sec, they got another thing coming Oklahoma is not going to win six straight titles in the sec. And, and I don't see a way here how Texas gets better unless Irony of ironies, they've left the Big 12 and gone to the SEC to get better in recruiting in Texas, which, in fact, I think is part of the part of why they left. Um, but I, Iowa State's a great story. Um, you know, does what does this do to keep Matt Campbell at at Iowa State? You know, is there something even in these coaches con, uh, contracts about conference structure where they could leave um, and they're not tied to the school by their contract? So. He, he's a great coach. Um, they've got an amazing defense to the point that uh, John Heacock, and I just did a story about it and mentioned it, he's become one of the great, um, I guess, disciples of the stack defense, three three five, And literally his second year at Iowa State scrapped their traditional 4-3 in the middle of the season for this three three five, And since then, they're, they're 31 and 17 won four straight bowls and, and, you know, been to the Fiesta Bowl and, and won that. So there's something going on at um, an Ames that is pretty special. You know, I don't know if, if TCU is going to be back. Um, Baylor's not back. Texas Tech, you know, they've got Oregon's quarterback. Is that going to make a difference? But it's, you know, again, it's all about Texas and Oklahoma. It, you mentioned Texas Tech and, and, and TCU's out there. You have Oklahoma State. It, it's just such a, an interesting mix of coaches around the Big 12, too. You know, you have the yeah. veterans like Gary Patterson. You have uh, Mike Gundy, uh, who's operating under a new athletic director now, new leadership at the school in general. And uh, he had some contract changes uh, last year as well. So uh, a lot of pressure on, on, on a lot of these coaches. How is that going to play out, uh, not just in the, in the short term, but in the long term with everybody kind of looking for a, a soft landing spot? Yeah, in, in a weird way, you know, at Oklahoma State, talking about Gundy, I think he's 2-14 and 14 against Oklahoma. In a weird way, this bolsters his security. They're now, without Texas and Oklahoma, they're the flagship football program in the, in the Big 8, in the Big 12. Um, have, have had, had the best record, have had the most consistent success, just haven't beaten Oklahoma. Um, so I think he's fine, and, you know, they should they should be okay Again, this year, Gary Patterson's going to coach at TCU till he's till he retires. Uh, Chris Kleiman is just getting started at Kansas State. I think they've beaten Oklahoma three out of the last four years, maybe two out of the last three. Um, you know, and then you've got you've got the bottom dwellers like uh, you know like Texas Tech and Kansas who aren't very good. I, I know that when Kansas was looking for a new athletic director in the spring, they were asking candidates how they were going to fix football because they were worried about conference realignment and where Kansas would end up. So it's really interesting that, you know, a top five basketball program isn't going to necessarily save Kansas in this whole turnaround. I fully expect them to be playing 
whenever it happens in the Mountain West or the in the American. Uh, a top five program at Kansas. Think about that. I, I not, I'm not even going to imagine, <laughs> imagine that. But you, you mentioned Sarko a little bit earlier there at, at Texas, maybe one of the more unique situations, yeah. him, him walking into that. And obviously there's a quarterback battle. Uh, we, we know they've all obviously got talent uh, there in Austin. That, that's never really been the question. But what can Sark do to elevate that program back to at least where Mac Brown had it, where they're, where they're you know, winning double digits? And I, I know it's, it's complicated with that SEC schedule on, on the horizon, but in terms of building that program back what does sark have to do in austin these next couple of years it's that mysterious word we keep coming back to it's culture they've recruited at a high level tom herman got it turned around and recruiting and it recruited at a high level mac brown did too um, even charlie strong in his time there recruited well it just hasn't translated on the field um, enough and Texas did the right thing. They got the best name on the board. You know, they tried for Urban Meyer and he wasn't going to come. So they got Steve Sarkeesian. He's a heck of a play caller. He's uh, as a head coach, he's been mediocre, to be honest, but he's armed with everything. It's like when you go to Texas, you don't have any excuses anymore. They're going to give you everything you need. He doesn't have Jalen Waddell. He doesn't have Devontae Smith. He doesn't have a difference making quarterback. And I think it's I think it's, I don't know what the word is, maybe odd that Bijan Robinson is an All-American uh, running back for Texas. Great player, averaged 8.8 yards per carry last year, was great in the bowl game. But if there was ever a time not to have a great running back in the Big 12, it's right now. Um, and I, I know I know Brees Hall led the country in rushing last year, but Texas needs explosive plays and they need to stop somebody. And they have a dearth of both of those right now. And I don't know how they get it in one year. A lot of, a lot of good running backs around the Big 12. Yeah. You mentioned Brees Hall. I mean, the, the Kansas State, TCU, they, everybody Brees seems like seemingly yeah. has, has a good running yeah. back, you know. Um, I, I'm curious. We've we've been asking uh, a lot of folks around the country about what is kind of the, the state of their league and uh, what, what what is the Big Twelve in, in five or even ten years? Is, is it exist? Does it not exist? Is it are is everybody kind of scattered to the wind or have they merged with the AAC? How do how do you kind of see the the league itself evolving over the next five to ten years? Yeah, I I, I guess you know I guess they'll retain their name. I mean, I don't even know if that matters, which means they'll stay together and absorb some of those American teams, or it could go the other way. I don't know, but they won't. The big 12, as we know it, uh, is effectively done. It's a group of five conference going in the future. And that's sad, you know, for those of us who, who grew up with it, I went to, you know, I went to a big eight school. I went to Missouri. Of course they've changed, you know, been in a couple of leagues since then, but, uh, but, you know, fondly remember the game of the century in 71 with Nebraska and Oklahoma and, and all that's gone now. Uh, we're going to have the 50th anniversary this year, but um, yeah, it, you know, it, it'll be around in some form. I just don't know if it'll have that label. Well, however it is, it's going to be a very intriguing journey. I think, thanks so much for, for joining us, Dennis. And, and if anybody is not following you or, or wants to find your work, like that, that great story about uh, the defenses that you just mentioned, where, where can they follow along uh, with you at home? Yeah, real easy. Uh, CBSSports.com and the Twitter handle is, at Dennis Dodd CBS. Perfect. Thanks so much. So, um, is there any team that you're particularly interested in this season, just on the field or immediately off the field, beyond Texas, Oklahoma, and Iowa State? A completely normal thing to say as we head into a football season. 
Well, you mentioned the Iowa State thing. I think that is the the more intriguing question surrounding the Big Twelve. But uh, TCU to me is is always an intriguing team because it seems like when whenever you expect them on the field to kind of have a down year, they end up surprising you and you know, running off double digit wins. And I, maybe that's the case this year. You know, they got a, re- a lot of returning production. Uh, they obviously have a veteran head coach in Gary Patterson. He's made a few staff changes behind the scene. Uh, I think they're excited uh, about quarterback Max Duggan. So uh, TCU could could be the one to kind of look out for on the field um, but it, it's really just an intriguing league overall I mean I think in terms of parity you know outside of Kansas every team in the Big 12 can beat every other team in in the Big 12 and I think that's what makes for such a unique uh, uh, round robin kind of competition that they have um, you know really the, the the closeness of some of those programs if, if you don't come to play on on any given Saturday uh, you're liable to get knocked off and I think that does certainly enhance the Big 12 race this year, uh, even more so than past years when you you throw the fuel on the fire uh, of conference realignment and and just the uncertainty that a lot of the Oklahoma States and uh, TCUs and Baylors of the world face. Um, I'm interested a lot in Iowa State, not because I necessarily think that they can make a college football playoff game this season, but they are maybe the the most – aggressive and, and, and best example of kind of breaking the, the, the blue chip theory of, of college football excellence. Like, I, I'm of the opinion that this really isn't that complicated a sport. You know, just you look at the recruiting rankings, the team that's got more stars generally wins. And if the team with less stars is winning, generally it's because they have a, a transformational player at quarterback or because they are way more experienced uh, uh, than, than, than their peers. And Iowa State doesn't really fit that. They, we've had a couple of teams that didn't have elite blue chip recruiting make the college football playoff, but most of them were close. The, the Marcus Mariota Oregon team was close, and they had the Heisman winner at quarterback. The Michigan State team that got absolutely destroyed uh, by Alabama in the first round, they were close, but they had multiple four-star guys, first-round draft picks on that team, and they hit on nearly all of them. And Iowa State isn't anywhere close to that. They're, they're not even really recruiting at a top 50 level. They have two preseason All-Americans on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and and, and they, they don't really have a guy, a quarterback that's you know going to be in like the top four, top five Heisman. So they, they would be the first team to, to, to break this mold to, to be in that conversation. I am inclined to think that um, – the, the model is there for a reason and it's really difficult to, to break that mold. And uh, you know, if you had to, I, I would take the field, I guess uh, c- c- compared to if I had to bet on, on them, you know, win, winning the league or, or, or making them the top four. But if you, if you want to make a stars don't matter as much as you think they do, if you have absolutely elite coaching and development and culture, it's difficult to find many examples to prove your point. This might be one of them. And, and I mean, add to that just the background of, of realignment and, and how that's going to impact Matt Campbell's future. You know, I think that's a that was a big storyline last year, you know, as, as the Cyclones rose up in terms of, will any of these big programs come and come and get Matt Campbell? That's still going to be out there, especially when you look at some of the hot seats around the country, whether it's Michigan, uh, USC, certainly uh, some of those those programs uh, obviously would would be in the market for somebody like a, a Matt Campbell does the Big 12 and what's going on in, for, for Iowa State as, as, a, as a school, is that going to impact Matt Campbell deciding to remain in Ames? I, I think it does. Um, you know, I think it, it, as much as he likes working for Jamie Pollard and, and being a part of everything that's going on with that program and, and building things the right way, uh, you know, how, how can you not say, look, we're, we're going to get a haircut on our budget uh, by by 
over 50 percent in in the coming years. How how could that not affect your outlook as a head coach of Iowa State? Maybe this is the the one big year that they have the push. They have the returning uh, starters. They have the the big time All-Americans, like you're saying, like Brees Hall. Maybe this is the, the last big push we're going to see out of Iowa State, which, which is going to stink for, for Cyclones fans out there who are some of the best around. But um, you gotta you got to understand there's going to be a ton of emotion invested in this season, not only in Ames, but uh, throughout a lot of these Big 12 programs. And you wonder if this is maybe kind of the last hurrah uh, for, for a program like Iowa State, uh, given all the stars aligning just about perfectly to where they can maybe scratch the surface of, of that college football playoff. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I'll, I'll be I'll be blunt. Even if they get to stay in a power league, I think this is it. <laughs> because, you know, schools that go 90 years without winning double-digit games um, occasionally will burst through for a brief period of excellence, but it's it's not sustained for a reason. Sleeping giants typically stay asleep and doormat programs typically stay doormat programs. This is a very, very hard job. Um, you're not going to have this level of experience and and and, and production that outperforms recruiting rankings on a regular basis. And you're not going to do it at a time when Texas is still tripping over itself and TCU is down and West Virginia is still kind of rebuilding. Like, I mean, other than these three teams, you talk about a lot of parody. It's not really good parody Um, other than, than maybe Oklahoma state. Yeah. Anybody in this league outside of Kansas can beat anybody else, but they're not really very good. Um, and in a league where a couple of those other middle tier teams are separating themselves, that makes it harder. It's the same thing for Michigan State. It's one thing to be able to to develop a elite quarterback and sign seven blue chip players and have them all turn into high level starters and first and second round NFL draftees. They also did that while Michigan sucked. Uh, and so you need everything to happen. I mean, I look at out west at Utah and, and this particular run. And I even I kind of wonder how sustainable that is because Whittingham's not going to be there forever. Their recruiting hasn't really taken a jump. They've had some good luck with the transfer portal. They've had some good luck with some with some JUCOs. But uh, you have to figure that the teams that can recruit better players are eventually going to turn it around. And if you couldn't make the Rose Bowl during that window, you're not going to get that many more chances. Oregon State's not going to get another chance, maybe in our lifetime, to be one game away from the national championship. Like that happens once. This is your year. No pressure, Iowa State. If you go eight and four, um, your program could be flung into existential despair forever. Go Cyclones. I mean, go back to TCU and and you, you talk with folks around the, the Horn Frogs program and around that university. I mean, how many times are you going to hear how big it was for that school to go to the Rose Bowl and, and and just the excitement around that game and how it led to stadium renovations and facilities upgrades. And eventually all of that stuff added up to an invite to the Big 12, getting back to where they once wanted, where they really wanted to be in a, in a power conference. Now, obviously, the, the bottom has fallen out from from the Horn Frogs in, in the last few months on that. But, you know, they, they reached the promised land in, in part by having that one magical season and and the resulting knock-on effects you know is, is Iowa State going to have that I don't know but I, I think it's something to kind of keep in, in mind with a lot of these big 12 schools you know whether it's Oklahoma State you know kind of coming back and and, and having a good year you, you got to you know got to remember they, they had they had a ton of leadership turnover uh, at the university a new athletic new athletic director a new president ha- have come on board you, you forget everything that's gone on but uh, Mike Gundy was in, in a very per- precarious situation situation last year uh before the start of the year that we, we I, kind of, I sure didn't forget part of that was because of us 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's fascinating to kind of see everybody kind of gloss over that uh, that that almost didn't happen, you know, which which I can think speaks to kind of the larger issues at, at play in terms of the realignment and just how much that fuels the media uh, speculation. But uh, there was that. I mean, obviously, you talk about Baylor; they even invested heavily in facilities. They they are uh, in, in the middle of redoing their 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 basketball arena in, in the next couple of years. Texas is, is doing the same. Um, you you have facility upgrades, you know, really across the conference that that have been done these last couple of years which it's nice that they, they got them done now <laughs> versus having to wait for them and, and wait for that funding. But um, it just a f- fascinating league, I think, overall, in terms of where these schools are, where they are on the field, where they are off the field, and how these leaders are kind of managing the situation. I mean, even Kansas. Kansas football is interesting to me. Now, I know you're going to laugh at that and, and people are going to scratch their heads, but like... But how- I'm interested too, but probably not for the same reason you are, because I, 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 I have drawn to garbage football like flies to carry it. I mean, I've watched multiple I've watched multiple Kansas football games just about every single season. Now, that's probably says you, a lot about about yeah. me and my my were you, viewing were you, habits. Were you explicitly paid to do that? Yeah, I mean, that was that was part of it. Game? You know, certainly, you know, you want to keep a, okay. keep an eye on on, on the entire landscape. But uh, I mean, it's it just a fascinating kind of microcosm of college athletics. You have a new athletic director. You have you know a school that is coming off you know a number of scandals, especially you know with regards to their men's basketball program. You have facilities upgrades. They they've invested heavily in terms of you know making sure that the football program has everything it needs uh, to to be a power conference team. You have a you know, Lance Leipold coming in, taking over. Uh, what What is he able to do on the field? Because they were in such a tricky spot um, after maybe the worst hire in, in the past decade in, in Charlie Weiss. They've been in, just in bad hire after bad hire in the scholarship yeah, they situation. Did it twice. They've made the worst hire twice. And listen, if this team was garden variety bad instead of all time historical meme bad, they're in the Big Ten. And the last... 20 minutes we just talked about sounds completely different. But be, I, it, it is not a – I'm not just saying this to be cheeky or have some fun here. That's been an FCS football team in, in terms of pure quality and in terms of literal dudes on full scholarship. That's been a Missouri Valley football team. A- um, absolutely. Taking your way out of that is going to be hard. And, and so I think it's just it's just such an interesting league. And I think that, that maybe it's it's my bias, you know, growing up in, in what is now Big 12 country and, and, and just having so much interest in, in that league. But uh, I, I really do feel like it's one of the more intriguing leagues to kind of watch and, and follow uh, because there's so much going on and, and not all of it is on the field, which still is is pretty competitive on the field. You know, I mean, Oklahoma is a national title contender. They have the Heisman Trophy favorite in Spencer Rattler. The, you have a, a rebuilding situation in Austin, certainly with with Sark and, and Austin. Obviously, the animosity that was already in the league that was present even before the realignment happened uh, is going to amplify every Texas road game. Um, and I, I just I can't wait for even like the the, the crowd shots that we're going to see this year around the Big 12 of just like entire sections going horns down when, when the horn, the, the longhorns oh. come to visit. It, oh, it's going to be great. There's let's, you know what? You're right. Let's 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 wrap it up on this. All the leagues, I think, are interesting. There are compelling on the field structural and off the field stories with every major conference. And next week we're going to talk more about some of the G five leagues where I think that that's true too. The meme potential for this season of big 12 play number one in the country off the charts. Not, yeah. We're not always, even though even the officials are going to be doing horns down, like forgetting, like not penalizing it, but the, the signs and, and the crowd reaction shots of Lord willing, we're still able to have everybody in the stands throughout this entire season. 
that's going to be great. I cannot wait to watch the Oklahoma national championship train get derailed in Manhattan, Kansas, or I mean, or maybe I don't know if they're actually playing in Manhattan this year, but against Kansas state, when they get flagged for 27 penalties and, and somehow get like, you know, flagged for a balk, right. Or a goaltending or like something completely ridiculous. And, and Kansas state wins like four to two. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait to watch it. I, I can't either. And, and it's, it's one of the more interesting leagues. We, we saved the kind of the best for last among our state of the, the uh, conference previews. And, and I think it's just, it's going to be a fascinating 2021 for the big 12, the rest of their schools and everybody looking in at this league. So, if you want to, oh, and when, when I publish this later this week, we're going to have uh, some links here to all of the other conference previews in the show notes in case you missed those. Uh, we have a bunch of other stories coming up here on Extra Points, not just about the Alliance. We have we just published a big thing about the state of the WAC. I have a story coming up about Chicago State, uh, maybe the the most forlorn, um, you know, kind of tough spot situ- school in all of Division One. We just talked about a bunch of Power Five schools that, that are looking at an uncertain future. Here's the one at the Division One level. I drove down to Chicago State's campus, talked to some folks there. I'll have that up here soon. I know you've got a couple of big season preview things, and and as we get into the actual honest to God football games for Athlon and on your Twitter, it's gonna be fun. We spent a lot of time here, really kind of you know d- getting getting really into the weeds, and we're gonna keep doing that, but. Now we're going to have some results, not just in football, but other sports here too, but especially college football. Um, and uh, it'll 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 be it'll be fun to watch. You you can you can find extra points at www.extrapointsmb.com. You can find me at Matt Brown EP. Brian, where can they find you? As always on Twitter, Brian D. Fisher, B-R-Y-A-N-D-F-I-S-C-H-E-R. Best place to find me and all my musings as the season is upon us. It's going to be fun, man. I'll catch up with you soon.